We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And um, well, it's a it's a chaotic start and we haven't even really started yet because I have just raced back from my radio show and literally come in the front door of my apartment and jump straight on this, this podcast. Daniel Norcross is on the other side of the world in Australia because he is covering the T20s at the moment between England and Australia. And Stephen Finn bless his little cotton socks, is currently uh, a victim of the old COVID at the moment. You're feeling a bit under the weather, Finney. Yeah, I feel a bit rough. I went to a wedding over the weekend, and as people tend to do now at weddings, I celebrated friends getting married and then got COVID for the pleasure. So, yeah, it's been a rough couple of days, but hopefully coming out the other side of it now. I mean, it just shows your commitment to Zero Ducks, given that wild horses wouldn't stop you from recording this podcast every week and we we really do appreciate your commitment there Finney and Daniel Norcross um if I were to describe Daniel Norcross right now he's in a hotel room in Australia he is rolling a cigarette and he's also picking his teeth with a toothpick in a sort of sort of like the least sexy western I've ever seen in my entire (laughs) life how are you Daniel well I'm okay Uh, I mean I I've had it's but it's tough doing this job. I tell you, it's not all like fun. And I'm not rolling a cigarette. I'm rolling all the cigarettes I need. I'm rolling 19 cigarettes. I'm nearly done. I've just come back from the Monica Oval, where England have uh, secured an insurpassable 2-0 lead in a three-match series against Australia. Australia, Australia, we love you. I mean, and um, I'm coming to terms once again. I've been to Australia a few times, but I always forget how rules-based and wussy they all are. So the first thing I saw on arrival in Perth was a gate that said, no trespasses, no smoking, no breathing, no looking in this direction, no walking in a funny way, nothing, don't do anything, because they're obsessed with bloody rules. And then, in an attempt, because I, you know, I'm a, a relatively nocturnal kind of guy, so I like to sort of start eating about half seven, eight o'clock, that kind of thing, with the intention that well, I'll get into, some, get into the weeds of a good natter by about 11, half 11, maybe finish nattering by one. Well, 
for love no money you cannot get a drink in this town certainly canberra after 10 on saturday in perth it was pretty much okay because it was um oh what's oktoberfest so oktoberfest in perth australians all dress up as germans in lederhosen then the bars stay open till about 11 30 but that's about it so you've really got to prepare and i'm very wisely prepared by buying wine in advance there's a fridge in my hotel room and uh, i'm stocked up so i can get through today but i'm utterly baffled by why perfectly decent hotels and bars are shut at 10 o'clock it's, it, it's surprising it's surprising because australia all australians i know are, you know functioning alcoholics but maybe i always used to think the kids that were the worst behaved at school were the ones with the strictest parents maybe that's the problem maybe they try and stop Australians drinking so much that when they get an opportunity to, they get carried oh. away. One thing I do need to come back to there is you're rolling 19 cigarettes. How did you arrive at the number yeah. 19? It's essentially my cigarette case, which is here, and I've just filled it. I Lovely see. Belgian silver number um, can fit 19 cigarettes in it, can't we? My work is done. I can put these things away. I can, I can concentrate fully on everything you have to say to me now, Toad. I can oh. put this away. I can put my arse tablets away. I can, uh, yeah, I won't even take my melatonin pill. Oh, by the way, if jet lag, right? I didn't realise this. People have mentioned this melatonin lark to me before, and I thought it was just voodoo. But I got some in Singapore airport, and I've taken one religiously at around about, you know, one o'clock, half an hour before I want to go to sleep. Every day I've been here, and I have slept like a log. I haven't had jet lag at all. It's been great. Melatonin. Do you need any more Should've... pills than you already take? You must well, rattle when somebody I've... shakes you. I've got nine different types of pill on my person at all times, <laughs> which I now carry in, the, in this. I've got this little nice little carry-on Ziploc bag where I've got like uh, nicotine gum because, of course, you're not allowed to smoke within about two and a half miles of where anybody's eating in this crazy country. I've got paracetamol for just standard stuff. Ibuprofen, but I get a slightly sore neck every now and then. Poor posture. Um, I've got blood pressure tablets. Um, I I've think this is rock bottom statins. for the podcast. I think we've, we've yeah. hit a new low. This is Daniel Norcross talking us through his tablets. Diazepam for flying. That worked really well. I'm telling you now, that was fantastic. I, I did. I did want. I did fear, in a sense, that we were going to crash and burn the whole time I was in a plane. But I kind of didn't care. It was a strange feeling. So um, I, I heartily recommend it if you don't like flying. I've I mean, got the melatonin now for sleeping. I've got um, these. These are great for a slightly dicky stomach, especially if you have a lot of acidicy kind of stuff. And uh, just before I left, I got, you will not believe this. You genuinely will not believe this, but I had my first um, over 50s MOT since before COVID. Got the blood test results back and I have a perfectly functioning liver. I'll, I'll tell you now. No, that no. You, they've they've mixed up the Forbes. Surely, I'm telling, I'm telling you now. <laughs> There's absolutely no way that that's correct. I'm telling you now. I mean, Finney here is recovering from a major knee surgery and got COVID, and he's you know he's barely got any medicine on the go. And you apparently mm. have a perfectly good liver, but you're you've got about fifty different drugs on you at the moment. Um, yeah, and I feel great. So what's the lesson? I don't know. There's a worrying lesson here. There's a very worrying lesson. If you're a kid listening, do not use Daniel Norcross as an example. Um, Finney, now, whilst, um, whilst you know, it's lovely to see you, really the star of the show, as we all know now, is your cat, Ethel, who at least once a podcast likes to jump on the table, uh, show us all her arsehole, and then walk away 
quite sexy. Oh, there she is. She's currently still on the table behind you. Oh, Hello, Ethel. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. And um, she's so beautiful. So Finney was telling us before we started recording, she's never she's never felt the warm embrace of a of a male partner, a male lover. Is this true, Finney? Uh, yeah. Well, she's an indoor cat, so she's never been outside. She did spend a bit of time longingly looking across from my balcony to next door's balcony at a cat called Claude. Oh. Um, and they just sat there staring at each other for days and days on end through lockdown. Oh. Um, but neither of them had the guts to jump over the fence and, um, and smash away. So, so yeah, she's never been touched by a male cat and I never plan on letting her be touched by a male cat. Oh, well, you're, you're, you're like the strict, you're the strict dad that won't let his daughter go out. Well, even though she's now 37 years old. Yeah, but have you heard what a cat's willy is like? I've, weirdly, I haven't. Please, please do tell. They're like hooks. So it's like being hooked by a fishing hook in your in your downstairs region. So I can't imagine it'd be that pleasant for her anyway. Well, she knows the risks. If she wants Claude's fish hook, then good luck to her. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Ethel. I mean, oh. you should, surely you could bring him around, let him come around for tea. You could yeah. chaperone. I mean, you could chaperone Ethel. He you could, could be there. Them. Watch over everything, you know, make sure things didn't get entirely out of hand. Yeah. You know, put on, I don't know, put on Lady and the Tramp on the telly and see how it goes. Light some candles, play some Barry White. Yeah, she's um she's got her, her sister here, Elizabeth, to keep her company, and that's enough for me. They're like homeschooled cats, never to leave. What about this, Finny? Oh, what God, if I'll... people send messages? Oh, they'll be socially inept, but they'll um they'll at least just have each other. I couldn't live with my sister again. I, I, the last time I did that was in the early 90s. And it, it yeah, no. Uh, I think that's a cruel and unusual punishment. Well, I just think what we need to do is get the get the listener or anybody that for some reason is listening to this to tweet us at Zero Ducks Pod or send us a message on Instagram, Instagram at Zero Ducks Pod, a photo and a sort of dating profile of your male cat. And then we could run them by Finney and he can judge whether they're worthy of Ethel. Because, look, we all love Ethel. And I'm not just saying, you know, let her have any old Tom, Dick or Harry. But there might be a lovely male cat out there for, for Ethel. And I think it would be cruel of you, Finney, to, to stand in the way of her and that fish hook that she deserves so oh, much. Hang on a minute. It, not old, any old cat. Can you imagine if poor old Claude had been sitting there watching on lovingly for two years and then up the street walked some, I don't know, Burmese or Siamese Paolo. cat or Paolo or the cockerel. cat. From... Pa- yeah, Italian. It's always Italians, isn't it? I remember when an Italian took the love of my life when I was 15. She went on holiday, didn't she? Two weeks in Italy. I'd been in with a really good chance before that and uh, came back in. It was it was Giovanni, actually. Giovanni this, <laughs> Giovanni that. He was 23. He didn't love you. Let it go. It's never going to happen. God, it annoyed me. Still does to this day. How have we got this far in the podcast? You've never told us about the time that an Italian man called Giovanni stole your love when you were 15 years old. Well, I'll tell you what, she dodged the bullet, and I hope her and Giovanni are very happy. <laughs> no, they're not. They they never got together again, but, you know, she pined for him for about another nine months. By which stage, I, I'm afraid I, that was it. I, I moved on. <laughs> That's a low point for any woman. When Norcross goes, do you know what? I don't need this. I don't need this stress in my life. Right, well, I suppose we should get onto cricket, but yes, at Zero Ducks Pod on Twitter and Instagram, if you if you think that you know a cat that is worthy of Ethel, and um, now the T Twenty post pictures, post a picture though, post a yeah, picture. Photo, I want some, a full I mean, dating what, profile. Yeah, 
Exactly. I want credentials. I want what the cat likes to do, the type of food it likes to eat, like the places it likes to go, that kind of thing. What would it do with Ethel on a first date? Those sort of things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Um, Now the cricket. So Daniel has just come back, as we said, from the second T20 international between England and Australia. And once again, England gave the old enemy the spanking that they deserve. And they look very, very good heading into the T20 World Cup. And the England white ball team... We had an iffy few weeks and months in the summer are suddenly looking back to the team that we all know and love. And it's all about timing cricket and major tournaments. And there's a few things that stand out as well as some wonderful individual performances. But we've got to talk about the main talking point. And this is the Markwood Matthew Wade debacle, the obstructing the field debacle. So if you haven't seen this, Markwood, who bowled wonderfully in that game, Bowled a short ball to Matthew Wade. He popped it up in the air. Mark Wood was running along. He was going to take a very simple court and bowl chance. Matthew Wade inexplicably decided to just stick an arm out and stop Mark Wood getting to the ball. And then it was all a bit weird. Josh Butler and Mark Wood turned around at the umpire, looked at him a bit longingly, didn't really properly appeal. They had a look at it anyway. They decided it wasn't obstructing the field, even though it was pretty much the dictionary definition of obstructing the field just butler afterwards confused me he said oh it's a very long trip to australia we don't want to cause too much fuss this early on essentially is how it translated finney what did you make of it because first of all that is obstructing the field if anything is isn't it yeah yeah i think it was pretty stonewall to be obstructing the field i mean the thing that, that frustrated me do you remember years ago there was an incident at lords where mitchell stark threw the ball full-blooded at ben stokes's face and he just instinctively put a hand out to stop it from hitting him in the face, wasn't even looking at the ball. And the third umpire, I reckon it was, was it Wilson? Who's the West Indian fella? Joel yeah. Wilson. Yeah. Joel Wilson, yeah. Hopeless. Um, but he, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sort of presuming that he doesn't listen to this, but yeah, he, he, um, or, or he whatever gave it umpire out, you he? again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, there's no chance of that unless he's planning on coming to English domestic cricket. Yeah. I, I think. You look back at that incident and Ben Stokes was given out for obstructing the field there. And then Matthew Wade can rugby tackle Mark Wood from taking a simple course and bold and it not be given out. But I do think Josh Butler did the right thing. I think that, you know, this stage of the tour and the situation within that game that they were at, whether it looked as though they were going to comfortably win anyway, I think. Were they not? Dan's looking... No, <laughs> Norcross disagrees with all of this. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely nothing like it. They were only five wickets down. Warner had 70-odd at the other end. They needed 10 and over. They were going quite well. It's Matthew Bloody Wade. Once you get him out, you're down to Daniel Sams. He can bat a bit, and then the bowlers. And, and you send the wrong message. When you come to Australia, you can't afford to be soft cock. You have got to be as hard as nails from the very, very beginning. I mean... I get all of that. I think it's more likely, actually, that Joss was looking at the ball. I think he was running in and was looking at the ball. The ball was in the air. I think probably Woody was looking at the ball too. And as they got there, Woody was impeded by 
Matthew Wade. I'm not sure how much Joss Butler saw of the exact incident because I think he was focusing on getting to the ball. And then he thought, oh, oh this is a mess, isn't it? <laughs> Sod it. We'll have to win another way. And they did because David Warner played a great innings but then played one of the more stupid shots because it was the last ball. It was the last over that Mark Wood had. And England, it didn't look toothless, but it was a flat deck in Perth. And Wood was a difference. He was bowling 95 miles an hour. Um, mercifully for England, Warner got out slashing a cut off the last ball of his fourth over and was caught at deep point. So it didn't actually matter in the end, but it really could have mattered. And I know that it's one of three sort of warm-up games in a series, but when you're playing against Australia and when it's Matthew Wade, I mean, every single part of that means I think it was just a bit of a mistake and it will never happen again. Let us pray that we never get bogged down in the weeds of the so-called spirit of cricket here. Because what basically happened is that Matthew Wade obstructed the field. There's a reason why you can't push people out of the way and stop them from taking catches. Because it's just as wrong as, you know, leaving the ball and hitting your stumps. You don't go, oh, no, it's a bit early in the tour. We'll let him stay. <laughs> Bollocks. He's out. He's bloody out. He's bloody Australian and he's bloody out. And we don't come over here to play nice cricket. The thing that really, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you say there. I do think the two people involved, Mark Wood and Josh Butler, is a huge part of that. Probably the two nicest people in the team. Doesn't help, does it? I, yeah. I, I, I'll tell you now, if Ben Stokes was bowling there and getting obstructed, he's appealing for that straight away. But um, it's it was so such a bizarre episode all round that I think I couldn't. I don't think Matthew Wade could quite believe they got away with it. But the thing that I don't understand is apparently in the rules, you do have to actually appeal for something yeah, to quite be given. Right. But you don't appeal when somebody's off stump goes cartwheeling out the ground. You don't appeal when somebody's run out by 10 yards. So why here do the umpires not look at the footage and just say, oh, yeah, he's obstructed the field. That's out. You don't appeal for every single wicket unless you're maybe Stuart Broad who appeals yeah. even for things that aren't wicket. Do you see my point there? That's a that's a hole in the rules there, Actually, I do slightly. Insofar, what you're saying is that it could be an umpire's appeal in the same way that like they they, they check the third umpire to see if the ball is carried. Yes. So at that point, because that there was an incident also that took place in that game in which Aaron Finch got into a bit of a heated exchange with the umpire because he thought that, uh, I think the butler had edged it through to the keeper, Wade had caught it, and that the reason it hadn't been given out was because it hadn't carried. What you're saying is that in a situation like that, the umpires should, they, they can see that something wonky's happened. So they then go straight up to the third umpire and say, check this out for me. And let me know completely because uh... you don't appeal for every single. You see wicket. that you, you don't, don't appeal yeah, for every you, single yeah. wicket. It was a bizarre episode all round. Um, and what didn't help was sorry, Daniel. I was watching on the TV at the time, not listening to the radio. But the Aussie commentary oh. going, well, you know, they both yeah. kind of got in each other's way. I'm like, hang on a second. Um, anyway, it, do you know what? It added a nice little bit of spice to that England Australia series and ahead of the World Cup as well. So maybe it will add to the entertainment value. It's funny you should mention the the, the Aussie uh, commentators because I we never got to see a replay of it. Oh, <laughs> so really? Okay. I'm, I'm I'm only going on what I could see from 110 yards away, having a cheeky smoke on the um on the camera gantry where you're not supposed to, but Shane Warne used to, and he told me to go there once four years ago, so I did. And I could see from 110 yards away that it was quite clearly obstructed in the field, but they never showed a replay. So right. I'm I'm basically going on some still photographs and what I remember of the actual moment. 
Well, I'll tell you, when you watch it back, you'll see it's as blatant obstructing the field as you've ever seen in your entire life. Um, anyway, England are playing very, very well. And it's been nice to see Milan stand up and bat beautifully in this second T20 international. And the hero in the first game was Alex Hales on his return to the England side. And he's probably cemented his place at the top of the order. Um, Finney, obviously it's fascinating. There's this sort of undercurrent of Alex Hales coming back into the side quite publicly and famously him and Ben Stokes haven't seen eye to eye for a few years. That's been a big part of the reason he's out of the side. I think both of them have fielded questions on that really well. Stokes said, well, I want to win World Cups and Alex Hales helps me do that. And Alex Hales sort of returned that favour. Um, in your experience, Finney, how, and you've been in England dressing rooms that were famously very connected and famously very disconnected. Does it matter massively that side of the how how important is it that everyone in the changing room's best mates, or ultimately is it about getting your eleven best cricketers out on the field? Yeah, I think it's certainly about getting your best cricketers out on the field. You don't you don't have to be running around holding hands when you're off the field together, but you have to make sure that you're functional whilst you're on it. And yeah, I think there's been a number of times in history. I mean, famously that Australian team. In the 90s, I don't think particularly got on together. Um, and there were a lot of frictions within that dressing room and they ended up being one of the greatest cricket teams of all time. So, yeah, I, I don't think necessarily it, it matters too much. And as long as you're all focused on the same thing when you're out in the middle, that's all that matters. It's the weirdest sport in the world. I think that's part of the reason that cricket is such a great sport is that it's kind of an individual sport dressed up as a team sport. Ultimately, if a bloke's bowling well or batting well, it doesn't matter if he gets along with the bloke fielding at point when he's bowling at 97 miles an hour and bowling at a bloke's head. So it's bizarre in that way, cricket. Not many sports really like that. Um, did you find, though, Finney, does it help to, for a team to be all getting along and all, you know, singing Kumbaya every night before they go to bed? Or really, is it just your 11 best players win the most cricket matches? Yeah, I mean, the Kumbaya may not be that necessary, but yeah, certainly... I, I do think that it helps a little bit to to have that relationship with your teammates because it means you can be vulnerable in front of them or, you know, admit to shortcomings that you may have, you know, much like our friendship and relationship, us three. Um, mm. I feel as though you two could come to me with any of your shortcomings, although we yeah. may be here for a while. So, yeah, I think having that relationship with people does does make a difference sort of. Not necessarily make a difference, but it makes touring a lot more fun. Um, but it doesn't make you any more likely to win. Does it make it though? Does it make it really, really tough when you're not in the team anymore? So, for example, you know, one of the things that you see in the current England setup under under Brendan McCullum is they seem to be a really tight knit group. They seem to be really, really happy. They seem to be really loving their cricket. That's the message that keeps coming across. But if you then lose your place in that team, do you lose something more than just a place in the team? You lose this fantastic feeling of camaraderie and real fun and enjoyment. And that you actually need a little bit of looking after when when you lose your place in a side like that. Sorry, I wasn't listening to what you said there because the test squad's just been released. <laughs> yeah, I, know it's really I know. true. <laughs> <laughs> because because actually it's quite it's quite germane. And since, I mean, look, we could go on to that right now if you no, want. No, 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 don't. Because you're no, I'll, I'll, later. Oh, is, sorry, is, I'll ruin, I'll ruin everything. organised chaos. You'd cause absolute no. chaos. But we will come to the sorry. announcement in a no. few moments' time. Um, but Norcross my question, my question, Finney. Sorry, my question, Finney, is that if you get a team that's really melded together and has really enjoying their cricket, like the England team seems to have done in this summer, 
if you lose your place in that side, and we will come on to somebody who did do later on, is it that much more difficult? You've actually you've lost more than just a place in the side. You've lost that bond and that camaraderie with those other 10, 11, 12 blokes. Yeah, but I think that's sport. I, do, I think it's that brutal sometimes. I mean, I look at, um, I played for that England one-day side in 2015, 16, 17. Then you lose your place and you're not in the squads anymore. Then they go on to win the World Cup in 2019 and you're left there thinking, Christ, I, I wish I was there in that dressing room um, to experience that with those guys because they were all my good friends, the people who lifted that trophy. So, um, yeah, that, I think that's the brutality of sport. And I think that you just have to, unfortunately, as um, archaic as it sounds, you just have to pull your socks up and get on with it because um, because the cycle of sport and the cycle of teams will always move on and you're not necessarily always going to be involved. Well, it's um, it's been not affecting the performances on the pitch at all, I guess is the good news for England at all. And I'm sure it wouldn't. Ben Stokes and Alex Hales are both old enough and have been around the block enough and probably played alongside guys they've got history with plenty of times before. So, so far, all the signs are very positive for England heading into the T20 World Cup. Um, yes, I'm also trying to get my head around the test squad, which has literally just been announced. And there's so many headlines all over the place. The one that really sticks out for me, Stuart Broad is not in the squad because he's going to be on paternity leave. His child is expected to be born at around that time. Keaton Jennings has returned after an unbelievable county championship county championship season obviously very good against spin as well famously the other names that jump out at me i finally got my wish clearly the selectors listen to zero ducks given liam livingston is in the test squad for pakistan as is will jacks uh, lee's misses out the weirdest one to me unless there's an injury that i don't know about is Potts has missed out after impressing this summer and also bowling beautifully for durham at the end of the season that seems absolutely bizarre to me unless i'm missing something or there's an injury i don't know about and Ben Duckett, off the back of a wonderful T20 series, who has played out in the subcontinent before as well, returns to the side. Um, Finney, first of all, the Stuart Broad thing I want to ask you about. I remember, I think it was Matt Pryor missed an abroad test match once because his, his wife had just given birth. And Ian Botham, in the most Ian Botham way ever, I remember on TV, was absolutely fuming about it and said, you've got a test series to win for England. Why do you need to go see your child be born? You can see it when you get back. <laughs> is that a sign of how the mindset has changed in recent decades Billy? I think maybe slightly yes so James Anderson in the 2010-11 Ashes actually flew home between the um, I think it was the Adelaide and the Perth test matches to go back for the birth of his second daughter uh, and then flew back out and, and played in the third test so yeah I think it's going to become more normal to see people missing things uh, for significant moments in um, in their family life. And I think that's fair enough. And I also think that that squad is picked towards people who have a little bit of X factor about them. Jamie Overton's in it. He can bowl quick. You've got Mark Wood in there as well. Harry Brook, Ben Duckett, Will Jacks, I think is also a significant um, inclusion in that squad. And I think that's what you need to do in Pakistan. So um, would Stuart Broad have played Anyway, I'm not entirely sure you'd have played him and Anderson in the same attack out there. But yeah, I think that's relatively normal to to see him staying at home. And what's your reaction to it, Daniel Norcross? I mean, you, I guess that's what they're thinking is Potts on a horrendously slow, low wicket probably isn't going to cause too many problems to the Azams and 
Rizwans of the world. But um, I guess the other worry is that Jack Leach is very much the main spinner there. There's there's nothing else alongside him, really, unless I, Livingston or I don't Jack think that is a worry. I don't think that is a worry because actually, if you look at uh, test matches in Pakistan, people got completely wrong about Pakistan. It's nothing like Bangladesh and it's nothing like India, those pitches, or indeed Sri Lanka. You know, ask yourself the question why do Pakistan produce this production line of magnificent fast bowlers, which they do? I mean, there's a whole bunch of them now playing T20 cricket, inventive, um, you know, change up bowlers, reverse swing bowlers, people who bowl at real pace. And it's because there's nothing in the pitch. There's no spin in the pitch. So your spinner is just basically got a bowl tight. And they might get wickets, they might not. It's not going to turn extravagantly. So it's not like you need a whole bunch of spinners like you would do if you're playing in Ahmedabad in India or, or in Gaul in Sri Lanka or definitely a Dhaka and Chittagong. What you need is bowlers who've got something different. And actually, Anderson has got something different. I mean, he's, he's very adaptable on pitches and not dissimilar in the UAE. He's got an incredible record, average like 22, I think, in the UAE. And then you need it express pace. I'm quite surprised Potts isn't there. Um, I do, though, think that the Alex Lees thing, it's not just Alex Lees is not being picked in this squad. He's not got any kind of contract at all. They announced the contracts the other day, which is why I wasn't surprised Lees wasn't in this squad, because Crawley's got a full contract. Lees has got nothing. And I'm sorry, but if you look at their performances across the summer, and, and indeed against the West Indies, there isn't a great deal to choose between them, which... If I was Alex Lees, that that would be really a, a, a massive body blow, wouldn't it? And it also made me think about the kind of guys who, when you lose your central contract and you're a red ball player, so you don't have all those other leagues to go to. I mean, I know Alex Lees didn't have a, a central contract, but he might have had hopes of getting one. You fall off a cliff. I mean, someone like Rory Burns, who's had a central contract for a couple of years, He's now completely out of it. He's not going to get picked up at any franchises. He's not really probably going to play in 100 now because he was only signed to a 100 team because he was an England player. He has to go back to being Surrey captain and that is it. And um, yeah, so I mean, there's a kind of human element there, which I think is really fascinating. But I think as a squad, they're looking at one of Livingston and Jacks will play, won't they? A batter who can, who can hold an end bowling spin. Um, more likely Livingston probably than Jacks because of his of his age and experience and the fact that he's he's probably a slightly more accomplished spin bowler. But they're going to go up, go at that with pace. They've got Stokes, Anderson, Wood, and um, Robinson. Perhaps it's going to be very very tough. Everyone scores five hundred there. Those pitches are absolute roads. Pat Cummins said that you, he he saw it as playing forty five sessions of cricket. They play three tests. You just have to accept that you're in for the long haul and that is it. And you are going to have to work your tits off if you're going to get any kind of results I, in Pakistan. I, I, it's fucking tough cricket. I don't think it's going to be a thrilling series. I mean, if that test series with Australia at the start of the year is anything to go by, I think one of the test matches, there was 14 wickets. So it's going to be a hard slog. Yeah. I mean, there are results though. You do get results because sometimes the whole thing crashes and burns crashes at the back end and you know we see it sometimes the UAE where the first three days you rack up loads of runs and eventually people just the pitch and people that's the point of test cricket it's bloody exhausting isn't it and it can't be more exhausting than in Pakistan 
Absolutely. Well, it's a fascinating uh, test squad and I'm very excited at uh, the Livingston. I've been banging the Livingston drum now for over a year. I'm very excited to see him get his chance in the in the test side. Uh, now, there's a couple more things I want to get through. Actually, you touched on it there, Daniel Norcross. The central contracts were announced. That was one thing I wanted to discuss. They've changed a lot over the years. They used to be a lot simpler, whereas now when I was reading the list of who got what, there's white wall contracts, incremental contracts, central contracts. There's the fast bowlers program contracts as well. Finney, in your day, how how did the central contracts work? So it basically means that England take possession of you. They take you away from Middlesex at the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're put on a 12-month retainer with the ECB. I think what the the way that it used to happen, and it's very different now, I think, and I think it's a lot more money now as well, actually, since that new TV rights deal. But there used to be three levels of contracts, A plus, A and B. A plus was if you were a regular in all three formats or an indispensable player. A was if you'd have a good year the year before. And then B was if they wanted just to keep you lurking around. And I spent a lot of my time on a B contract. I think I was lucky enough to have one for seven years. So, yeah, by no means am I complaining. But, yeah, I think the list is slightly more complex and complicated now. There were only ever 10 or 11 given out when I had them. And they were only ever for test match players. But when you look down that list there and some of the white ball players that have got full-time gigs there, it signifies the the um, the change and the shift in mentality, I think. Yeah, and Norcross mentioned the human element there because you'd like to think that Alex Lees has had a nice phone call and a bit of an arm round the shoulder from somebody high up at the ECB, although given their reputation, who knows? Um, because that is, a, that is a brutal fall from grace. We were, you know, he batted beautifully at the start of the summer when England chased that a huge total against New Zealand and he got the innings off to a flyer and then he really has been dropped completely by England, a bit like Rory Burns, as Norcross mentioned there. Yeah, I mean, I, when I, I do feel sorry for him because he didn't do too much wrong, did he? In the manner that he was asked to play, he was asked to change, I think, slightly his approach to opening the innings and he did that and had an open mind towards it. But yeah, when you lose your central contract or you lose your contract or you don't get one when maybe you were anticipating to get one, it can be quite brutal. I, mean, I sat down with Andrew Strauss in the Good Life Cafe in St. John's Wood. And he said, and I, well, I would have been, what, 28 at the time, I think, in 2017. So not old by any stretch of the imagination when it comes to playing sport. And, and he said to me, look, the, the next time you play for England is probably going to be your last opportunity. You're obviously not going to get a central contract now because you've not played much in the last 12 months, but we want to support you to help you make the most of that opportunity. I mean, it turns out that I didn't ever play for England to get off to that point because of well, I've got a number of things, form and injury and stuff. But yeah, you, you do feel lost. And then you, I had knee surgery about a month after that. And, and yeah, you're not sure who's doing your rehab because for the last seven years it's been England, but now they're not paying you, so they're not obliged to do it. So then, yeah, it, it can be a quite discombobulating experience for you uh, and something again that I think now the guys are much better supported than they would have been back in the day yeah it's a br it's a brutal system I mean sport's brutal anyway but it is a brutal system Norcross you're pointing at me I am because because in in there as well I'm not going to say these are anomalies uh, but there are some weirdnesses aren't there like uh, look, there's Brooke. some odd names on the list yeah, yeah. well there's well there's the oddness about what they get to do and what other people get to do so Harry Brook has been around England's test side. He played in a test match 
You know, at the moment there was an injury to Johnny Bairstow. He's in the T20 side, and I'm pretty sure they're going to want him in the ODI side. He has an incremental contract. Moeen Ali has said he doesn't want to play Test cricket anymore. He has a central contract. We're talking 600 grand plus here. Joffre Archer, we all love Joffre, hasn't played for a year. We have no idea how his injury is going. I mean, maybe the fact that he's got a central contract is an indicator that they're, they've got good news. And that would be very exciting. We'd all, we'd all love that. But if you are Craig Overton, Jamie Overton, Saki Mahmood, who've actually played for England in test matches recently, and you're on an England pace bowling development contract, and Joffre's got a central contract, that feel a bit weird. If you're Dawid Milan, who's you know been number one T20 player in the world, has every reason to think he could be knocking about in ODIs, he probably thinks that he should be playing in Test cricket. He was playing in the Ashes this time last year and started the Ashes rather well, if every, anybody remembers that. He's on an incremental contract. Again, I take you back to someone like Moeen. He said, I don't want to play Test cricket. Now, do you know, it's, it's, I don't quite understand what it does to the dynamic of people within the group that, that you have these. They're, I say anomalies, but they are, they're a bit odd, aren't they? It is a bit odd. Yeah, Finney, when, when the list got announced, obviously you said it's changed so much when you were doing it, but when the list got announced, surely the human nature of things in the dressing room, you'd be looking at the list going, oh, how's he got one and he hasn't got one and how have I got one and he hasn't got one? Surely that's the discussion every year when this list is announced. It is a bizarre system all round. Yeah, it is bizarre considering that there will yeah, be guys in that dressing room there who will feel hard done by going into the World Cup and... Yeah, I, I think it's just something that you've got to try your best to ignore, as silly as that sounds. I think that we're all very fortunate that we play cricket for a living. Uh, I don't know the difference between the contracts or how much the difference between a county contract or one of those are. Um, I would say they'd be significant. But yeah, I think you've got to try your best to put it out of your mind. And the thing that I always told myself was that if you're good enough at cricket and if you're dedicated enough to it um, and you do well enough then uh, the game will look after you eventually and, and that's the just the, the thing that I tried to do when I was playing and yeah I'm sure there's a lot of guys in that dressing room trying to do the same you're a better man than me me and Norcross would have trashed the dressing room and lost our shit I reckon <laughs> well uh, w- w- worse than that I'd have got a central contract and I'd have spunked it all up against the wall wouldn't I in the first year and a bit and then go, hey, and oh, the no bugger I'm broke it doesn't bear thinking like about. that bloke I'm who so, in the 90s yeah. who won the lottery and then admits he blew it all on cocaine and prostitutes in about six years but he says he regrets nothing <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be me listener that wouldn't yeah, be just me to, just to nip that room in the bud that would not be Norcross Right, well, let's finish on a couple of things I want to talk about. The first one is, well, there's two individual bits of cricket that I want to talk about. The first one is, I think, the greatest cricket shot of all time. Kyle Mayers. Now, did you two see this cricket shot? Daniel mm, Norcross. No. Phenomenal. No, no. Describe it to me, kids. Describe it's, it. I've heard about it. haven't seen it. I'm, it. Going to, I'm going to send it to you on WhatsApp immediately, but I'll also I've been quite busy. It. Well, I've, I been, I've been in the air for about 38 bit. hours. Largely oh, so, because some of our bookings got screwed up. It took me 17 hours to get from Perth to Canberra. The only way I can describe it is it's not, it's forget inside out over extra cover. This is off uh, Cameron Green. I've just WhatsApped it to you, Norcross. 
It's sort of inside out over point, pretty much, off Cameron Green. It's the most elegant cricket shot I've ever seen in my life, and it goes for six, about 20 rows back. Norcross, have you seen it yet? Holy mother of God, that's fantastic. What the fuck? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, it's, what? <laughs> it's the best shot I've ever seen. I can't get over it. It flies off the bat. And we'll share it on the Zero Ducks pod uh, Twitter That's and Instagram good. page in case you haven't seen it. But I think it's the greatest cricket shot I've ever seen. I think Gilchrist said it was the best shot he's ever seen. Uh, Finney, that's up there, isn't it? It's getting silly now, some of the places these guys score their runs. Well, I mean, did you not see my slog sweep off Archie Lenham in 2021? <laughs> the, uh, on the 7-11 field at um, Merchant Taylor's score. I mean, I'll tell you that, what, that I was a beauty. If anybody listening to this is a, is a whiz enough to... <laughs> Put those two shots alongside one another, or put the commentary oh. for Kyle Mayer's shot over Stephen Finn's shot against Archie Lenham. I'd appreciate it very, very much. Finney, if, if, what, genuinely, what's the best cricket shot you've ever played in a game, and what's the best cricket shot ever played against you in a game? Off the top of your head, can you think of any? I know what you're going to say for your best shot. Go on then. Is, is it your six? Is it off Shane Watson at the MCG? Yeah, yeah, that was good, but. The um, it was only 96 meters. Um, but <laughs> when I pulled Dale Stain off my nose when he was bowling 92 miles an hour at Lords when he came round the wicket, and I just dismissively lashed him through deep backwards square leg for four, that one was quite satisfying. There's not many batters in the world that have pulled that one off. Well, you said yourself on this podcast a few months ago that everybody knows that that meter finders technology is bullshit. So that six off oh, Shane Watson probably only went about forty-eight meters. It was probably time. I only went into the second tier of the um of the Gabba. Only the second tier. Yeah. Uh, what about a cricket shot of you? Have you ever bowled one where someone's played a shot and obviously you wouldn't say it, but in your head you're thinking, oh, that's, that's quite nice. That. Well, I've got a habit. Like I, I pick up weird habits when I bowl. But if someone plays a good shot against me. Sometimes I'll go, shot boy, like that. So um, it's just like a tick that I get sometimes. I think Phil Salt, it would have been my first ball of the game against him at Lords a few years ago. And I just ran up and tried to bowl a back of a length ball over the top of the stumps. And he hit it out of Lords over the tavern stand. It went fucking miles. It was so big. Yeah. And I spoke to him after the game and he was like, oh, I just sort of guessed that you were going to try and bowl it there and had a big swing in it. And it went mild. I was like, yeah, fair play. <laughs> this is, Spot on. <laughs> I mean, this this whole podcast has gone full circle because you said at the start, Norcross, we're too nice to the Australians. And then Finney is admitting wherever he gets it for a good shot, he says shot boy to them. Shot boy. It's also a Middlesex thing. Phil Tufnell says that all the time in, on um, off commentary. Doesn't do it on commentary, but off commentary. is that If he sees a really brilliant shot, he goes, shot boy. I think there's some weird Middlesex thing going on. I, I can, I've, got, I've got two contenders of my own. My my best shot ever, and there aren't very many contenders for it, was the first ball of a match. It was against the Green Party. It's always the Green Party. It was when I got... When it, when it, it, was, it was a year after I got 118 against them. And they had this left-arm over bowler. Bloody hell, how ball. crap are the Green Party at cricket? <laughs> Tunning I know, up. I know. Might have been Caroline Lucas. I can't remember. <laughs> Anyways, she had, she's coming at heat or whoever. Came over to wicket. Uh, banged it in short. And I don't know why, because ordinarily, you know, I was such a boring player. I'd just leave it. But I suddenly, I just like went after it. And I had that really, you know, that really satisfying thing where the ball hits a car, right? And you see it. So it bounced once and banged onto the bonnet of a car quite a long distance away. 
but the speed of sound means that you see it, but you don't hear it until a bit later. And it makes you feel like fucking God. And I've, I've done it very, very rarely, but on that occasion, I'll never forget that. But my best shot I think I've ever seen live, and I think I was on commentary for it, was Jason Roy, you might remember it, at the Aegeus Bowl, played literally a back foot punch off a quick bowler. I think it might have been a South African over wide long off for six and it was stupid i mean you just you shouldn't be able to do that you should just there's no way you can get the power the elevation the distance you just can't do that and it was unbelievable and i thought wow fuck me he's got an incremental contract which is nice to see and that <laughs> it all comes full so yeah, jason has that habit because he gets leg side of the ball and he hits through weird areas and he can play some beautiful shots when he's in full Ooh. play um, well, wow. chaps, it's been an absolute... What's your, what's your, hang on, what's your oh. best shot, Toby? Have you ever hit a four? Again, it's so hard to... You know, there's so many to choose from. Um, well, my, my best shot ever was swiftly followed by one of the most heartbreaking losses of my life. But we played our, our big, fierce local rivals, Oxshot Royals, down the road. And it was between oh, us well, and them to get yeah. promoted one year. And uh, I came into bat at nine or ten or eleven or something. And um, we needed about 15 to win with two wickets remaining. And... I tried to prod, prod around and was getting beaten all ends up and I went, screw this. And I hit their captain onto a tennis court for six and everyone was losing their minds. Then the very next ball, I missed the full toss and got bowled and we lost by two runs. So it was a brief <sighs> lift. I'll tell you my favourite shot I was ever at the United Strikers end for was Sam Billings's brother, Tom. He yes. was a good cricketer, by the way. He is, um, yeah. He hit a six at a charity game for Lord's Taverners at against Saracens up at uh, Tottridge and Mill Hillian's Mill hit something like that. Mill Hillian's cricket club. I was there. I think went, I was probably commentating. That went yeah. through the Range Rover's back window on the boundary because Tom's the nicest oh, man well. in the world. He was heartbroken, and I was at the non-strikers end pissing myself laughing. And there's a wonderful photo somewhere of Tom trying to apologise to the owner and me on the floor laughing at the entire thing. That's probably my favourite shot from the non-strikers end. And I've been hit for so many good sixes. I've I've stopped counting to be honest with you. But uh, <laughs> anyway, well. I'm I'm glad that we could give Finney a moment there to discuss his four off Dale Stain. Right, chaps, I will see you next week. Enjoy your um your strict rules in Australia, Norcross and Finney. I hope you feel better soon after this COVID bout as well. Very kind of you, thank you. Yeah, World Cup starts soon. World Cup, World Cup, World Cup actually begins. World Cup proper. Don't forget all these warm ups and all that. You know, we get going. We I get cracking in Hobart and. Uh, well, Finney's been to Hobart. I'm, I hope he's going to WhatsApp me some some recommendations for where to eat and what to do because I've got about ten days in Hobart and I intend to fill my boots. Why is Finney just ignoring you now? That's that's what it's become. <laughs> because he's well, got I COVID. That was a nice way for it to finish. Okay, yeah, finish it's there, just, so. it's just, it's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.